Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have Dave Kimura. Hey, everyone. Valentino Stoll. Hey, now. Luke Stutters. Hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. This week, we have a special guest, and that is Adam Gordon Bell. Adam, do you want to introduce yourself? Let us know who you are and why everyone likes you. <laughs> why everyone likes me. That puts a lot of pressure on. I'm not sure if I'm willing to commit to that. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm a software developer. I work at a company called Earthly as dev advocate. Earthly is an open source build tool. I have a podcast about software development, which probably has some guest overlap. I, I had DHH on it before. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you guys have had as well. I've had him a few times, yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, so that's me. Very cool. So what's your primary development environment then? I'm I'm kind of curious. Oh, it's a good question. So like my team all, like the Earthly team, everything's done in Go. Uh-huh. But, but I was a Scala developer before I started here. So like I'm going through a learning phase right now, basically. Gotcha. As the leading digital platform for medical professionals, Doximity is transforming the healthcare industry. Founded in 2010, Doximity's mission is to help physicians save time so that they can provide better care for patients. They've built secure and modern communication workflow and networking tools. Over 1.8 million healthcare professionals, including over 80% of U.S. doctors, rely on Doximity in their day-to-day practice. Their tools are physician-first and patient-centered. Doximity is a remote-first distributed team, and they take pride in the culture they've built. They recognize that the company is successful when people are successful. They've built a diverse team with an inclusive culture, and they're multicultural, multilingual, and international. Their diversity is their code, too. They build products with Ruby, Rails, Vue.js, and Golang. They'd like you to come join their mission to make every physician more productive so they can provide better care for their patients. Visit workat.doximity.com to see open positions, employee interviews, and Doximity in the news. Well, you've written some really excellent articles on command line tools. And this is one of the areas where I really feel like developers could get easy wins as far as being able to do more stuff. And so, yeah, I just thought we'd uh, jump in, talk about this. I don't know if I invited you or if somebody else did. Michaela did. One of these guys did. Anyway, whoever did, uh, thanks. You're awesome. And uh, yeah, so let's dive in. First of all, before we dive into specific tools, I was just wondering if you could set the stage for why you advocate for and write blog posts about some of these command line tools. Yeah, so I use the command line a lot and I find it very powerful. And I think, so the article I wrote about JQ is maybe what got your attention, but Mm -hmm. there's tools that I really, I just say they're like in my fingers. Like if I'm going to do a commit message, like I just kind of think about it and my thing, you know, my hands say get commit, blah, blah, blah. But then there's other like command line tools. I know they're valuable and useful, but usually it's just like, oh, I have a specific problem and I like Google it and I end up on Stack Overflow and there's like some, you know, mess of stuff that I copy and paste into the command line and and then hopefully it does the job. So I was like, you know, that's not good. Like JQ is one of those. Like I I would use it for pretty printing. Like if I made some sort of curl request and I get back some rest and I would just use JQ to pretty print things. But every mm-hmm. once in a while, you know, I would need to do something more complex and I would head to Google and somebody would be, oh, here's a solution. But like the amount of time I spent Googling that stuff, I'm like, if I, if I just learn it, right? Like learn how this tool works, learn it in the ins and outs, like it's going to pay dividends, right? How many years mm-hmm. have I been Googling this? So yeah, I spent a bunch of time just trying to master it and, and kind of writing up the results. Because like, there, there's so many tools like that have been around for, for decades, right? And it's like, right, just learn the tools and, and you, you get new skills. Yep, absolutely. My background, I started out doing operations. I worked in an operations center. And so we were logging into servers a lot and kind of had automatically reached for some of the tools that you've covered. And then some of the rest of them, I was like, wow, there's something that does that or. (laughs) But what's funny is, is that, you know, I haven't done IT in that way for, I don't even know, 20 years. And what's amazing to me is that these skills are still just as transferable, right? I mean, we used grep way back in the day, and it's still a handy way to go, right? Still grepping after all these years. It's funny when you don't know the, how do I describe this? When when you don't know how to do something, but like kind of your fingers do, like it's like, how do I Uh do that? And it just kind of comes out of you. that's, That's a weird thing that happens once you use a tool a lot. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm I'm curious, we did find you from the JQ article, but 
what are the tools that you feel like developers don't know that they ought to know? Yeah, that's a good, good question. Yeah, so there's clearly JQ. And so I wrote that up and it got a lot of attention. And then somebody in the comments on like Hacker News or something said, uh, oh, JQ is like awk. It's, it's a bit complex to use, but it's so valuable. And I was like, I have no idea how to use awk. So <laughs> it. <laughs> it was the same thing, right? You like somebody's like, I'm trying to figure out how to do something. There's some stack overflow. They're like, yeah, run this awk command. So I did the same thing with awk, where I kind of spent time trying to learn it. And it turns out it's very simple. It's just I, I never took the time uh, right. to do it. But uh, actually, I could pull it up. I think I might have to refresh my own memory. Because I did write up a blog post about a bunch of command line tools that I thought were really excellent. I'm just Yeah, I think I ran across it. but The six command line tools. Yeah. I had to awk for real two weeks ago because I was dialing into a system where I could not install Ruby and I had to get the data out right now. And what that looked like was a grep on a log file fed through to awk, fed through to netcat to kind of escape escape the data across the network <laughs> under extreme time pressure. And uh, then I realized I could install Ruby after all. It was just Red Hat based. So it was that it was yum install instead of, but I felt really good for a second there that I've achieved some kind of Unix pipeline. It's funny this chain of history, right? Because I think that Perl uh, was created to replace awk and then Ruby was created to replace, replace Perl, Perl to a certain yeah. set, right? So it's like you've come full circle back to awk, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, I found the list here. I like seeing Fuzzy Finder on here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So Fuzzy Finder is really good. I think that at some point I just decided like I should be more productive at the command line and started looking for some of these tools and asking around. Yeah, Fuzzy Finder was one of the ones that came up. So if you're not familiar, Fuzzy Finder just lets you like do a, a very quick incremental search across things. So you could do like at my command line, I do like LS, like star star, and then it kind of pops up. And as I search it, it filters through things. Yeah, it's very convenient. Man, I've never seen what is Fuzzy Fuzzy what? What is I've never seen Finder. this before. Is it, is it like a kind of uh, real-time R grep? Yeah, yeah. So if you do, yeah, if you do like LS and then I have Fuzzy Finder bound to like asterisk, asterisk, then it will, in real time, it has like kind of a text UI and it will start listing all the file paths that that would expand to. And then as I type, it will filter them down. And then once I, you know, have the path I was looking for, then I can kind of hit tab and it'll auto-complete that. Now, do I have to brew install that guy or... Does it just kind of come automatically with Bash? Because some of these like grep and awk and sed, you can usually find them on any system, right? Yeah, Fuzzy Finder, you have to install. So yeah, I'm on Mac, so I use Brew to install that. Yeah. Do you want me to just keep going through some of these tools? Yeah. Yeah. I'm learning stuff. What are some of the command lines that you use every day that you come across since the early days? That you're now like, whoa, like this has changed the way I do my work. Yeah, I mean, the one the one that's really s- silly that I... Maybe silly is not the right word. The, the one that I use all the time is this one called Z-Oxide. So I'm not sure why it's called Z-Oxide. But what, what it does is it's a fuzzy finder for changing directories. So if I type... Like, basically, I have, I have like two things that I do. I, I work on Earthly stuff and, and I work on my podcast stuff. And they're basically like mm-hmm. two different paths on, on my computer. But they're very far apart in some sort of tree. So I have ZXide replacing my CD. So when I do CD a co-recursive, it just switches to my co-recursive path, even though it's like 10 folders deep of whatever. And then when I do CD Earthly, then it changes to my Earthly source code because it just keeps track. Like it's very similar to Fuzzy Finder I just described, except every time you, you could think of it, every time you CD into a path, it's like storing Mm -hmm. it in some sort of dictionary. And then when you do a CD and it's not, you know, it's just a single word, it just looks through that and switches into the most common one. Super handy. Um, oh, man, I'm learning things already. This is going to be a tough <laughs> show. <laughs> one that I use that, that's kind of weird is called McFly. I think I've I heard of this on Hacker News. Um, but, you know, like the history file, you know, if you do like control R and you can search through the history of commands. I really hate that. It never works properly. (laughs) (laughs) So McFly is somebody trying to like somewhat over-engineer this concept. So he, this person who created it, made a neural net, I guess, that keeps track of the common commands that you use when they run, if they're successful or not, and then what, the most important thing for me, 
what what path you were in when you ran it because like i hate that the history file like when i'm in when i'm when i'm searching for something and i'm in my podcast folder that it will return things that only would make sense when i'm actually in the earthly source code so mcfly just kind of namespaces these by by the path that you're in Right, so it suggests based on the kind of if you're working on this project, they'll give you suggestions for that project. Yeah. So when I hit Control R, um, it, it looks very different than the than the traditional history. It has kind of a a UI around it, a text UI. But yeah, the the list that it returns is sorted, and the ones that it shows first. So if I I'm going to run grep, I do Control R, type grep. The the items first in the list will be the ones that are run from that folder, basically most commonly. That's pretty cool. Yeah. You know, I might be one of the few people. So I, I write a lot of automation scripts to just make life a little bit easier. One of them is I'll have a cron tab job that runs periodically each day or each night. And it will go through all of the important folders that I really care about. It'll back them up. It'll tarball them and it will encrypt them or just with a GPG key. And it saves it onto a drive. Then that drive is then backed up to Backblaze. So I have a nightly backup of everything that I really care about. But one of the things that I am very intentional of backing up is my ZS, my ZSH history file because it has all the previous commands that I've typed for the past, you know, who knows how long. And as I'm typing them, I could just hit the up arrow key to go back and cycle through any of the matches. So I don't know, is anyone else back up there? Bash history or ZSH history file? No, man, I've burned that. I've, I've, I've regularly deleted <laughs> my history to cover my tracks. The government can find it anyway. I'd rather, I'd, honestly, I'd rather people found out my browsing history than my bash history. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to see some like glo- global, I don't know how you would scrub it to be safe, but but I'd love it if, if people somehow shared all their history so that I could search through like not just mine, but like once it's something I haven't typed before, it starts like going through other people's. Sounds super oh, that'd dangerous. Be interesting. <laughs> so like a GitHub copilot for the shell. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Log in as blah 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 with password blah blah blah. I think it would get dangerous really quick, but it could be super yeah. useful. <laughs> What's it, is it ask pass the thing you use? Like if you're desperate, it just types the password in for you in a shell script. I'm not familiar know. with that, but Oh, right. So if you're, if you're, um, oh, it's a command line tool that you should never use. I think there's a thing called uh, AskPass, which I use, which will literally wait for like the other program to wait for you to end your password and then type it in for you, right? If it's kind of SSH or a login thing. So it'll wait for a pause and then blah. So it's like the ultimate way of inserting plain text passwords into your system. That's awesome. Yeah, there, there's a lot of great tools. Like I, so I, I don't recall who I was talking to, but somebody mentioned to me that they were, you know, conceivably a successful software developer, but they were still programming like it was 1995. And what they meant by that was like they, they, you know, they worked in the terminal and Vim, and I think they did C programming, and they had been doing the same type of C programming um, since 1995, and were still quite successful. And that, like, I thought about that a lot because there's so many things that I've learned, and then they've fallen out of style or, or nobody uses them anymore or they turn over. I was thinking like this person, you know, like they they learned to use Vim at some point and they're still using it. Like what 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 are these tools that kind of last the, mm-hmm. the long haul? So I, I think about this a lot. Like I would prefer to learn the older tool. Like a, a lot of times in the, in the past, I was really chasing the shiny new thing. But I'm trying to like edge myself towards like, oh, is there an old command line tool that does this? Because if it still works now, it's probably going to work 15 years from now. Yeah, one of the people I talk to on a semi-regular basis is Bob Martin. And what's funny is, is he'll talk about programming concepts the same way, right? Where it, somebody invents something new, and then I have to go and pull out the book from 40 years ago that has that concept in it. And they just reinvented it. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like no, we knew about this. I must in- issue a correction there. It's not AskPass. AskPass is a secure one. It's called, it's auto-expect, which is the like, just bash that password in. Yeah, ask pass is the is the good one. Sorry. Well, awk that that I mentioned earlier, like I, it reminds me of what you said about about Bob Martin because um, like I had often heard of it because somebody would be talking about some like way to do like a data processing pipeline, and somebody else would be like, "Oh, here's how you do that in awk, and it's more efficient, and it's only four lines long or something." Mm-hmm. Right? 
<laughs> and my, when I went to explore with it, I said, like, it's, it's, a, it's a bit quirky. Like it, it has conventions that are a bit unusual because they're of its time, but very, very powerful tool. Mm -hmm. It's part of the <coughs> holy trinity of command line tools. It's grep, walk, and said. I don't mm -hmm. know. I must have read a book at some point, which was like, you know, how to command line circa 97 Red Hat era, you know, getting Linux on CDs from the library. And those three <laughs> are, I was a cool kid. Those three, like, you're together in my head. But I don't know if they're like all written by the same people or if there is an official link. There's an O'Reilly book called Ock and Said, which I haven't read, but I, I, I can picture the cover in my head. Like, I think I've seen it. I probably worked with somebody who used it as a monitor stand. That thing would never go out of date, though, because yeah. it's basically the same tool. Yeah. What really annoyed me about your JQ article, Adam, was that quite a lot of software I write could probably be replaced by <laughs> I know, <the> right? JQ script. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting that, like, like, so the guy who created JQ, to my understanding, he he spent a lot of time like just doing things that were just very simple, like pulling things out of JSON. And then he created uh, JQ. And I think he created it originally in Haskell. But then he was always working on all these machines and getting Haskell to compile there and whatever. So he ended up writing it in C as like a, a portable executable so that it could you know be with him wherever he went. So there's something to about command line tools that can be easily installed wherever you are, right? Like if it's a big setup to get it somewhere, mm -hmm. it's so much less useful, it seems. Right, so everything should be written in Java. <laughs> Sorry, couldn't help it. Because Java runs everywhere, right? You don't mind a, a very large lag on your command line tool execution time. Shh. <laughs> did, you, did you just say everything in Java should be rewritten? Don't quote me on that. <laughs> I still have friends that do Java. I, st I have this amazing memory, really tangible memory. It would have been 2001, and I was learning Java at university in the NetBeans IDE, and the, it would have been like kind of Windows 98, right? And the GUI for the was so slow in the NetBeans IDE that I could type quite a lot faster than the text could appear on the screen. <laughs> <laughs> and it was the worst advert for any programming language ever that, you know, we've built mm -hmm. this IDE and it's ended up so slow that even, even an 18-year-old me could out-type it. I mean, Java still used quite widely today. I mean, a lot of people still use Log4j too. <laughs> <laughs> it's I funny, think you Log made some people cry. Log4j was in my mind as, as one, like, I mean, previously to whenever this vulnerability came out like it was in my mind as one of those things it was just rock solid like i had used java in, in university and had used log4j and then i didn't do any java stuff and then years later i came back to it it was still there and like it did it was like it did most of the things that that you needed it was very configurable i thought it was it was pretty solid like i thought it would continue on forever and, and it may but it's crazy i'm sad about that one yeah so i what? do a lot of docker stuff and one utility that i found that's Super fun to have around because I do like being in the terminal a lot. It's called CTOP. So if you do anything with Docker, CTOP will kind of give you a visual interactiveness with your Docker client. So you're able to see all your running containers, your images. You could actually write arrow key over into one of your containers to see how much resources it's using and all that good stuff. So if you do anything with Docker, that's a must-have utility. And... There's a lot of stuff around Kubernetes that is really annoying. And so I have a lot of command line tools that I've written that will help automate a lot of that stuff because I've worked on a microservices platform that uses Ruby as the application language, but Kubernetes is the orchestrator for how it's deployed. So just managing a bunch of microservices and stuff is really annoying. So I've written some... CLI tools that will essentially give me a little menu. And I've actually rewritten it in Ruby from Bash. So there's a gem called TTY-prompt, which is super awesome for creating menu-based command line utilities in Ruby. So check that one out too if you haven't. And essentially, I just have a main entry point called menu that does a prompt selection. And from there, I'm able to then call out just whatever methods based on the choice that you make, and then just run system commands and have that 
do what I need to. That sounds do super you, useful. Do you wind up writing much of your own command line tooling, Adam? So I actually have, I end up writing a lot of little bash scripts that, that automate things. Um, the answer was no, Dave's weird. <laughs> I am weird. <laughs> I admit to that. <laughs> That's brutal. That's, shout out, I, I actually learned CTOP from you, Dave. Uh, it must have been one of your drifting Ruby things, but that was a real game changer for Docker because before I had no idea what was going on with like Docker PS, Docker Container LS, and just having mm-hmm. that safety net that right, I know this is this is what's going on in this system. There's no secret hidden Docker thing going on. That was really useful. It sounds like Top or H Top, except for Docker. Anyway, it really go ahead. Is. Yeah, yeah. So Adam, <laughs> you do write your own tooling then. Well, so I, I guess I have two answers. Yeah, I, I write a lot of little bash scripts to to automate things that I need to do, which I find pretty handy. Uh, also, I work on Earthly, which which is a command line tool. So I guess okay. that gives me an, an unfair answer. But yeah, do you want to hear what Earthly is? <laughs> sure. It's kind of kind of force an introduction there myself. Yeah. So so Earthly is a is a build tool designed to I mean I guess solve. The problem of not being able to run your CI locally or the problem of something failing to build in CI, but but working on your local machine. And also the idea that like, oh, I need to change the build server and I have to like commit a change and then push it and wait and push it and wait. Yeah, so so Earthly is like a containerized build tool. You could think of it sort of like a Docker file mixed with a make file. And yeah, it's open source. So yeah, if you're writing multi-stage Docker files and they, and they get really hairy and complex and a mess it, it's kind of a also a great solution to that so what's an e- example of something that the everyday person can can make with it yeah so so the 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 jekyll project right is a ruby mm-hmm. project that's that's pretty big so it, if you look at the jekyll project they have a bunch of builds that happen it's hosted on github there's github actions and they want to test it basically they have a bunch of tests a bunch of unit tests bunch of integration tests and they want to make sure that it runs on, on various versions of Ruby correctly, right? Because, you know, people running Jekyll might have various versions of Ruby. Uh, they could also have various, like they could be using JRuby or something like that. So they have an Earth file. Uh, so, the, so the builds, when they build Jekyll, uh, uses Earthly. And so it sets up like a, a Docker image that is the version of Ruby they want and then like runs the tests and then, you know, like, like tears it down and then does that for each of the versions of Ruby that they want to use. So that means that like, Although their GitHub Actions, um, you know, they can see if the build passed or failed. If they want to iterate on that, uh, they can also just at the command line in their local dev environment run the build as well. And yeah, also do this testing because it's containerized across various Ruby versions. We see a lot of popularity in the Elixir community. Um, but yeah, Jekyll uses it, which is a Ruby project. That's why it came to mind. Cool. We did an episode about Bridgetown a while back, and it's based on Jekyll. So Nice. I'm not familiar with that. It is a pretty cool project. Nice. Adam, I'm curious if you, first of all, what shell you use? And and second, as a follow-up, if you've experimented with any of the new shells that have come out, I mean, specifically, I'm thinking new shell. New shell looks really cool. Um, I haven't I haven't took the time to play with it yet. And I know that people talk about this shell quite a bit. I, I guess they're two very different ideas. But yeah, I'm just using the default like ZHH. ZHH. I'm having trouble pronouncing that. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Because um, I guess Fish Shell, to my understanding, really good at auto completion and, and remembering commands you ran. And then New Shell, like I love the idea where it's like more structured pipes, to my understanding, that like commands are more aware of, of what they output or something. I don't know. What's your take on it? I've only done a little bit of experimentation, but it's really neat. Instead of like just input output pipe to pipe stuff with, it's tabular. So all of the data that I- outputs would be a table instead of an input output stream and then you can kind of like jq style extract and pipe things from it in that way it's pretty cool i'm definitely like slowly finding things to do with it yeah i love the it's it's an idea where i like i'm not sure like it, it makes a lot of sense to me but then also i remember like having to use powershell and like which is kind of where the birth of this <laughs> idea of like structured data and like i just I did not like that. <laughs> oh, good old PowerShell. But I don't know if that was just the verbosity or, or what. I don't know. It reminded me of like a command line version of Objective-C when I first started using PowerShell. <laughs> not anything in particular, just the kind of lots and lots of typing vibe to it. 
Mm-hmm. I'm not convinced. I understand why. I understand why they made it, right? I think we all understand why Microsoft made PowerShell. But will PowerShell survive? I'm not so sure. But it, it, people use it like IT admins and stuff for like, I don't know, messing around with SharePoint or, or something. I, I don't know. Some things you have to use it. Some things you I was waiting for you stuff. to say something fun. They use it for... No. It is a syntax error to have fun while using PowerShell. <laughs> so something in your uh, article on command lines got to me, Adam, uh, was your Git update. Yeah. Kind of your doing work in progress <laughs> commits really quickly. I'm curious. I work on an open source command line Git workflow tool. And so... Uh, I'm kind of curious what other bash scripts or or command line utilities you use in kind of your everyday workflow. Yeah, so GWIP is just, a, to explain, it's just an alias that I have that just, I think it, it adds all the files. It's like git add dot and then dit git commit dash a dash m and then it says whip for like work in progress. So I just like reflexively type that before I'm about to break something because like, it's like, this is my, this is where I'm going to go back to uh, before. And this doesn't work out. Yeah. So, so what else do I have at the command line? Yeah, I, I have a lot of aliases for. Um, so right now, I do, I do a lot of blog writing, like kind of writing up stuff like this. And so I ended up building up a lot of little aliases and tools for working with Markdown. So like I have like a Markdown linting program that I run, and it'll say like, oh, you know, you should have an extra line break after this heading, or like this image should have an alt tag, and then it also does. Uh, so that's Markdown lint, which which is a pretty awesome program. It, it finds like syntax errors or, or style suggestions in your Markdown file. That There's also this program called Veil. Veil is used by technical writers a lot. And so it, it's almost like Grammarly type of thing, but, but for Markdown files. So you can put in like style rules. You can say like, don't use the word really, like that, that's not a useful word or very, right? Like just these are kind of meaningless words that maybe you shouldn't use in your text. It can say like, oh, this sentence should have the Oxford comma, like it should have an extra comma or like, hey, you keep saying, hey, man, that's probably not making things very open to people who aren't men. Um, so it, it just has like a, a plethora of rules for for basically making your writing better. So I use that all the time. That uh, is very interesting. I think I would completely hate that. Uh, because <laughs> I, you know, I, it's a deeply personal thing, isn't it? How you express yourself through your documentation. But yeah, uh, it's, you use Veil. You find it good that someone else is telling you how to phrase stuff. Yeah. So, so the way Veil works is you have to basically it takes like a style rules, which are like YAML files, because everything has to be in YAML nowadays, I guess. And so there's like there's banks of these style rules that you can grab online. Like there's like whatever Microsoft uses for their documentation. Google has their Veil files available and et cetera. But like you just throw them in wherever Veil's looking and then customize or, or throw them out as need be, right? Or add in your own. So for instance, I don't know, like like the Microsoft style guide is very like dry. Like they would, if I put like I, they would probably say like, no, you should say we. Like it's always the royal we. Like that's not how I talk, right? So you you can customize the rules to your own liking. I, I think the thing is like that as a developer, I had to do all this writing and it was in Markdown and I'm like, I'm used to having like something that guides me, right? Like I need like mm-hmm. a failing test or a syntax error or something. Like I need I need some guidance here. I'm, I'm used to having machines kind of push me in the right direction. So I had to build up some linting rules for myself. Oh, I got you. So you kind of installed the TypeScript of blog writing. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay. I'm sure you meant to say Barry. Barry doesn't add much in this context. Hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately, I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast, and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv, and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, 
whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. I would like the same for like subject matter. So like, oh, I have this idea. Here are some talking points I want to get through. And it would just be like, all right, start with this. You're going to want to follow up with, you know, this action item, fill an action item here. (laughs) Yeah, so there's a lot of tools like that. If you look around, I actually went through, there's a whole bunch of like text like pros, linters, I guess. But but Veil is the one that, that I found to be most useful. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. What other command line tools do I use? So like, like Auk has actually turned out to, to come up a lot. Now that I know how it works, <laughs> I find myself using it quite a bit, which was surprising, I guess. Just the other day. So I think that something started up a, a Docker container on, on a port, but like it, it never named it. So it always had like a different name. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just, if you do like Docker PS, it lists like, in tabular form, right? Like, uh, here's the IDs, here's the names, blah, blah, and there's the port. So it, you can write like very quickly an aux script that says like, you know, in column eight, if the port is 8080, then return the, you know, column one, which is the container ID. And then you, you know, you pipe that to like kill, or I guess like Docker stop. And there you go have a one liner that's just like, hey, we're killing whatever's running on port 8080 without having to like go through the stupid thing where I had to like Docker PS and like, oh, what's the name Docker made up for it? And it's like, oh, bubbly professor. Okay, Docker stop, bubbly professor. Yeah. Both said and awk remind me of Perl where it's something that you can figure out how to write the correct command to get what you want pretty easily, but don't try going back and reading it because you'll have no idea what's going on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. That's totally true. I don't know what, now that you ask me what tools I use, it's like my mind is blank. Can I ask about your alias strategy? One of the things that I always berate my unfortunate colleagues for is not using aliases on the command line. And if I see someone typing the same thing for like the 10th time in a row, I just can't, I can't stand it. I can't stand watching (laughs) people type in the same thing over and over again. Right. I don't know who's not teaching people this, but the whole point of command line is that you never have to type it more than once. <laughs> so that mini rant aside, I go with two letter aliases that are highly specific to the project I'm working on. So, for example, I was restarting a lot of Apache this week. So my Apache, instead of typing systemctl restart Apache 2, or how you're supposed to do it, I type RA for restart Apache, right? And that's my, that's my mnemonic. But as I'm sure, you know, someone who spends the amount of time on command that you do, you need a game plan for remembering these, these kind of two, three letter aliases. What is your command line alias mnemonic? Yeah. So I use, so if there, if there's something global, like my GWIP, Right. I try to like basically all the get ones start with a, a G is what I use. But then uh, the thing the thing that I've been evolving, this, this is going to sound a bit strange. So I, I use this tool called Funky and Funky lets you have aliases that are scoped to a certain path. So there's like a dot funky file and you can put aliases in that. And then when you like CD into that directory, then those aliases load. And then when you leave, they unload. Right. So how? How? How does that I just, work? I just love that you have a funky file. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, so I'll have a lot of like, so when I'm working on the on the blog, like I have like an alias that's just called start, and that just starts the blog, right? If I'm in if I'm in that root directory, if I change to actually the blog for my podcast, uh, the start command is also there. Um, it, it's still an alias, but now it's been rebound to start this website, right? Oh, nice. Yeah. And so the the problem, so Funky was in that article we were talking about command line tools I use. The problem with Funky is that the Funky file stores things in a, in a JSON format, which is like kind of horrible. So I kind of rolled my own solution. So this might be the answer you're looking for, Luke. So I have a file. I have is it like, even funkier? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, I have a bash file called functions. 
and I put a bunch of aliases and functions in it. And then my like my prompt, when my prompt is set, it checks if the current directory has this file called functions, and then it sources it. So whenever I like CD into my website, right, it will see that there's this function file that has all my like starts and my restart and whatever, and it'll source them. So as soon as I CD in it, then it's present. And then it's just like a normal bash script. And how do you spell functions? How do it I spell better functions? be with a K. It better have a right? K in it. Why? What? So <laughs> he wants it funk, uh, funk oh, functions. I'm sorry, guys. So Come on, this man. Is going over my head. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that, that totally. I was like, did he find some sort of problem with my approach that's gone over my head? No. <laughs> no, man. I just want the funk. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta have that funk. Yeah, but this works surprisingly well. Like just having a bash script with all my like aliases and shortcuts in it in each directory where I need them and then just sourcing them. I don't know if that's similar to what you do, Luke, or you just have global, you just have global everywhere. Yeah, I, I didn't even know it was possible. I mean, does it, does that work in bash or do you need to have a kind of funny Z shell going? Yeah, well, it's just sourcing a bash file. So it does work. That's, yeah, I'd have to, I didn't even know that was even possible that you could have dynamic stuff, just change directories on a standard shell. So that's that I'm going to have to check that out. Now, what I do is I have my usual ones, which is GA is git add you know, GC is good commit. So that's my kind of core ones. System CTL becomes SC because I really hate typing system CTL. But everything after that becomes very machine specific. So if I have a server that's like, you know, I don't know, running something in Apache, I have the Apache ones. If I have a server that's running Nginx and we've got the Nginx ones over there, Docker ones go different. All the Docker ones start with usually DC. So Docker compose mm-hmm. logs is DCL. The trouble is you run into like conflicts really, really fast. You end up <laughs> a- aliasing LS by mistake and then really bad things happen. So I just wonder if you, you had like a standard prefix or an even better approach. And it turns out you have an even better approach. Yeah, it, it works well for me. So it's fairly new, but. So one of the things I have, I mean, I guess, I guess you have a different, like you're going to different machines. I'm always kind of in the same machine. But in my functions file, I have, if I type list, it's an aux script that just reads through the functions file, uh, looking for the functions that are in it and prints them out. So if I type, if I CD into somewhere and type list, it lists all the custom aliases to that, to that path. And like, it's nothing, uh, like, I think this would all work in a 1981 HP Unix server or something. Oh man, <laughs> the good old HP UX days. <laughs> the only thing that was worse, well, there was Solaris and AIX, but anyway, I digress. <laughs> I'd like to hear maybe some kind of fun commands that you have. Like as an example, I have a, uh, a pass fail command and if it fails, then it turns on my hue bulb red or if it's, you know, passes, it's green. So anytime I run my tests, I just pipe it through this thing that gives me the visual after a while of it running. <laughs> Do you, do you have anything fun like that, that that you use? I would love to. That would be great. No, I don't. This idea of interact, yeah, I'd love it if my lights like flashed or, or something. Yeah. So I just had you Aaron Bell. What was that? <laughs> Aaron Patterson had his thing whenever he wrote a incorrect command or something that it connected over to an Arduino or something that did something visually or audibly interactive. Things like that really amused me. Is that the the real terminal bell. Yes, yes, I think. You mean that's what it was. The analog terminal bell? <laughs> <laughs> I built like this that. the other a couple of weeks ago. Is that's it real great. now? Is it oh real? yeah. Yeah. Just oh, hooks up man. via USB and uh just, hooks right up to the terminal with some finagling. <laughs> For the benefit of folks at home, that's a very large bell. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's quite large. <laughs> I think it's too big. It doesn't quite fit on the disc. <laughs> I have to angle it on. I'd I like everything like... about. I like everything about Aaron Patterson's a terminal bell. Except what I wanted is some kind of electric shock device on the other end of it, so that it was constantly <laughs> electrocuting him when he was typing. Apart from it being a bell, it's brilliant. Well, you know, if you if you wire the solenoid in reverse, you can get a little shock out of it, and uh, then anybody tries to push the bell physically without a program, then they get a little buzz. <laughs> yeah. Or you can run a long wire into your baby's room. So whenever you type something wrong, it wakes up the baby. So there's real consequences. That's real incentive. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Console roulette. 
I remember seeing somebody who had like a, a smart scale thing where like it was like if they didn't, you know, if they didn't lose such and such weight, like it would tweet it out. It's like some sort of <laughs> <laughs> hardcore motivation. Chuck is a big fat fatty. <laughs> oh, I need that in my no, I don't. <laughs> it would motivate at first and then you just like okay how do i disconnect this from this twitter account or if if it just like withdrew money from your account oh there you <laughs> go don- and donated it right <laughs> we just donated 200 dollars to the most immoral person you can think of <laughs> you know what that's that's not a bad idea some kind of github square job that's oh, that's man. pretty good that's pretty good. Anyway, so I guess the other question that I have, because it sounds like some of these are as simple as brew install or apt install or whatever you're using, right? And mm-hmm. some of these solutions are a little bit more involved and you kind of have to understand how Bash or C shell or whatever you're using works. If somebody wanted to get started with command line, you know, start figuring out, okay, A, what are kind of these more common commands? And B, if I wanted to start creating some of my own solutions like this, you know, how do I get my head around that so I can do it? I mean, I'm so far removed from this that I don't even, I don't know if I know where how to tell somebody to start, so. Yeah, that is a great, great question. I think that, like, if, you, if you're not using the command line at all, then obviously, you know, maybe start. If you are using it, and you might fit into the shoes that I was in, like, I don't know, a year ago, right? Where there was things that I would just have to look up and kind of verbatim do them. And so that I just when I encountered things like that, I spent the time to kind of figure out what was happening and, and how it worked, understand things. Like, because in the past, you know, I would be in the middle of something. It's just, well, I, I just need to do this one thing and then get back to my coding. I'm like, no, like take the time to try to mm-hmm. understand what this command is. Or, you know, if you're trying right. to do something and there's like some weird Perl script, like maybe understand what that means, at least for security reasons, before you slam it into your command prompt. <laughs> so I don't have a great resource where it's like, this will walk you through the 12 steps. I think it's more just like being aware of where your time is spent and and what are the tools you're using and spending some time learning how they work. But yeah, I mean, I just keep writing things like this. You can check out the Earthly blog as well. Maybe whatever you're trying to learn, I'll, I'll cover. I, I, I've done one on Bash and one on Awk, one on JQ. I forget what else. One thing I would love to see is how to properly use piping. So I remember that being a huge learning curve when I first mm-hmm. started the command line, right? It's how do you use these pipes? You know, you go on Stack Overflow and you copy paste and you're like, okay, this works. But like, how do I change that? <laughs> what if I wanted to do something else in the pipe, right? Yeah. Yeah. Talking something into said, which then pipes it into something else. <laughs> <laughs> There's little tools like I just recently learned of this one called Sponge, which is part of more utils. Like it's super old. It's probably available wherever you are. But but all Sponge does is if you're taking results of a file and then like doing some sort of pipe actions that make changes to it, um, like you can't write back to the same file because like you're you're reading and writing at the same time. So all you do is you pipe it to Sponge and then it it just stores it until and then rewrites it back. It's just it avoids having to create a temp file basically if you're if you're trying to make some sort of transformation. It is like literally oh, this is a sponge. Like as I pipe out all my results, the sponge will hold it. And then at the end, it squeezes out back into the file. I'm too stupid to understand that. And I'm going to have to go away and work out what's going on. <laughs> Imagine you have a file that has all our names in them and they're lowercase and you want to change the file so that they're all uppercase, right? So you could like cat it out and upper it. and But it, instead of writing it back to the same file, you just pipe it to sponge, which will wait until all of it's been sent out on standard out and then write it so it's just like that way you're not writing yeah you're not gonna gonna end up with some weird corrupted stuff yeah yeah so there's a lot of these little tools i'm just learning about them day to day no i didn't realize this but jq is actually used within insomnia which is kind of like paw or postman just an api tester and you Mm -hmm. can use the jq syntax to kind of drill down in the data save it as a variable to reuse in a different API call. So if you need to first do like an authorization call, you get some kind of response or token back, you can use JQ to dig into that JSON response, save it as a variable, and then pipe it into a different API call. That's pretty cool because I never really understood like how this syntax was working. So your article definitely clears up some of that. So thank you for that. Yeah, thank you. 
the one thing that made JQ like click in my head is that like you have like a, a JSON document, it's a JavaScript object. It, JQ just lets you kind of access it like it is an object, like in a programming language. Like you have this big JSON document that say has a key called key one that has a key called key two that has a value called value, right? So if that were like an object in Ruby, I don't know Ruby well, but in like JavaScript, mm-hmm. you could do like dot on it, key one dot key two. So that's like the exact same syntax you would use on JQ. You would just pipe that object to JQ and say dot key one dot key two, and you would get value. Nice. But, um, the weird thing is that JQ is actually, after I say, oh, it's simple, it just works like that. JQ is actually a full, I guess, Turing complete programming language. And if you look, there's like people who've done horrible, horrible things with it. Like this, <laughs> <laughs> this JQ program will like return <clears throat> all the prime numbers like you, you pipe. <laughs> or like it does the Fibonacci sequence. Or, yeah, it's very simple unless you don't want it to be. Nice. You know, going back to your your temp file example with Sponge, I just remembered there's a, a thing called named pipes in Unix where you can create a file that is a pipe and then you can then send stuff to it and pipe stuff through it just as a file. I've used that before for like streaming automated test runs. So you could just open up the tail of the file to see the test output and just anytime that you save a file it just sends the test to the to the pipe very cool yeah that is cool there is yeah there's a package called more utils that's what sponge is in so it's created by this guy joey hess hey i ended up interviewing him for my podcast so joey is a debian contributor forever like for years and years and i think at some point in the in the 90s or maybe late 2000s he was like well what what are all the the like Unix tools that that didn't exist, right? Like all of these things like awk and cat and grep, like, you know, they were all created during a very small time frame of the early days of Unix, right? So he tried to find like, what are the other tools that are missing? And that's why he added Sponge. This one I use all the time, which is just like TS. If you just pipe something to TS, it, it prints all the output, but it puts a timestamp in front of each one, which is super helpful. <laughs> and I'm just trying oh, to nice. figure out like, what, what was the super long step in here? Yeah. And so the interesting thing about about Joey is uh, like he lives off the grid in uh, in Appalachia somewhere in a cabin with like limited internet. But yeah, it was it was a very important maintainer to Debian for years from using satellite internet and et cetera. Cool. So what are you working on now? You have anything interesting coming out that we should all be watching for? Yeah. So I, I mentioned before my my team, like everybody at Earthly, besides me, are are Go developers. I'm not. So I, I'm trying to learn it, and I'm I'm writing up some things as I go. So like I decided, like, hey, I'm gonna build like an activity tracker, like mm-hmm. tracking my exercising and stuff. And I'm gonna try to force myself to build it in Go, and then I'm gonna try to write it up and make it into a blog post. Um, so I, I've written the first part of it, and, and then I'm gonna add. Like, basically, this is a complicated way for me to procrastinate uh, actually exercising, right? Like, I can't exercise <laughs> until I build, like, the web service to store my exercising and then the database <coughs> and then the front end and whatever. But but maybe people will learn some things from, from it mm-hmm. as I get progressively more out of shape. And yeah, I um, also have my podcast. So I'm interviewing this guy who, who's building this Serenity OS coming up. So this is operating system that he's building from scratch that looks... A lot like Windows ninety five, but is is a is a Unix compatible operating system. I yeah, saw that. It's a Swedish guy. Yeah. Yeah, that's that looks really really amazing. Hobby the hobby OS genre, and when you say he's building his own operating system, he he really is building the whole. There's going to be no Richard Stallman coming along putting a GNU slash Solidarity OS. He's building the lot. Yeah, everything from from scratch, like from the bootloader and so on yeah and so i'm pretty excited to talk to him like so it's called serenity os because i guess he had some addiction issues and and was in rehab and i think that this is in reference to like the serenity prayer and like alcoholics anonymous and so this is like his his uh therapy i guess or or keeping himself busy that's awesome that's way better than what i was thinking of because i was thinking of how cool firefly was but right josh whedon (laughs) i was on the josh whedon too Mm. super cool well, we've been at this for about an hour. Anything else you think people ought to look at before we tell them where they can find you on the internet? Like plugging things? Yeah, I mean, if you have some build issues, take a look at Earthly or just some hairy Docker files. 
yeah, if the podcast description sounds interesting, feel free to check that out. And yeah, learn how to do good stuff at the command line. It's super valuable. It'll pay off long term. Very cool. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and, and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. All right, well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Valentino, do you want to start us off? Sure thing. So one thing I came across the other day was this new tool by Julia Evans called Mess with DNS. And you could basically create a, a bunch of DNS records and test the whole call stack for everything that happens when uh, you could basically do a trace on the DNS that you've added. It's pretty neat. I'd recommend checking it out. It's a lot of fun kind of seeing what uh, your ISP is up to. And I, I have to follow it up with Julie Evans' wizard signs. She has a ton of sensational programming kind of designs that you can find. I have this Linux toolbox, which is pretty great that I got that has just a ton of tools and how to use them. Uh, great command line reference. So check that out. Another one is, <laughs> and this, these next two are really amusing. I thought one is Evil Martians, the consultant agency, mm -hmm. Ruby agency. They wrote, <laughs> they basically made a way to write Go in Ruby using Ruby Next. And <laughs> it's it's really amusing to see them make an actual Go script that can be parsed by Ruby and executed in Ruby. <laughs> oh, <laughs> kind wow. Of just, kind of just as a fun thing of how to extend Ruby and, and bend it to your will. And another one, and this is just absolute fun, is called Thanos JS. And it's a way to reduce the file size of your project by up to 50% by just randomly <laughs> deleting half of all the files. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, one of my favorites. That's it for me. All right. Dave, what are your picks? All right. So recently, back in October, I wanted to build a new desk because the standing desk that I had, it was a very cheap one from Micro Center. So it had like a three-piece part particle board top that was impossible to get aligned correctly. So it always had this little notch in it. And it was really annoying. So I went to Home Depot and I bought a six foot butcher block, which is like inch and a half or two inch thick solid wood. And it was uh, my actuators are strong enough to lift it up. So I finished it off, curved the edges, and I am using that as my desk now. And I could also prepare meat on it if I wanted to. But um, <laughs> you got the important stuff covered. <laughs> yeah. So I got that from Home Depot. But then on while searching Amazon, I really wanted a USB hub, but I didn't want something cluttering up my desk, like just another box on the desk. Mm -hmm. So I found a grommet hole USB hub. So it sits flush to the desk and it just I drilled a you know two, three inch hole into the desk, the wood, and just stuck this thing in there and secured it in. And it's been super nice and handy. I think I need that. <laughs> I have everything I need for that except for the USB hub. So, all right, Luke, what are your picks? Well, I want to, since we've been talking about the command line, I want to pick the Art of Unix, which is an old Eric S. Raymond book, which totally changed the way I view command line and the structure of Unix itself. And that was really a kind of turning point for me of how I how I use the online. I have been having a good listen to Adam's Curry Curse podcast. There are some real gems on there. As we said earlier, the interview with uh, Joey Hess about the Debian drama and the, how, he, how he got into Debian all the way through and getting out. Uh, System B, of course, of course, was a really great <laughs> listen. The other one I really enjoyed was the uh, Richard Hitt interview about SQ, SQLite, SQLite, I guess it's SQLite, because I have a production system running on 
SQL Lite, which moves at an enormous, enormous amount of work. And I did it kind of as a joke, just to show that you didn't have to use, like, you know, that it could, it could do it. And now that's moving more than anything else I've got. The database file size is like in the kind of hundreds of megabytes. And it's kind of glorious, but also incredibly scary at the same time. So it's really interesting to listen to uh, Rich Kip. And of course, uh, the, perhaps the star prize is the but a Brian Kernigan interview on there as well, which is quite a quite a jewel in the crown. So yes, that's enough. I, I'm picking all those episodes. But my final pick is also furniture related, and it's having a good chair. Those of you secret inside video feed for Ruby Rhodes will be familiar with this uh, Franken chair that I've been doing podcasts <laughs> on. You'll notice this is the very first chair I bought as a human being, and it's got some interesting decorations added by the cats over the years. This is, in fact, the head headrest from a Ford Frieda van that's been literally just rammed into the top to give it head support. <laughs> and this here is a cushion attached by an elastic band. And this chair has been developed over many years of continual sitting, especially during lockdown, as the absolutely most optimal, comfortable thing I could build with zero effort or expense. And I've just been gifted a new chair for Christmas. My loved ones have finally cracked and bought me a proper chair. So I'm going <laughs> to pick, pick having a good chair for writing code in those those are my picks love it absolutely love it you're starting selling them yeah yeah from here it looked like a dentist chair so anyway i'll go ahead and throw in some picks so i always do a board game pick i'm going to break with that slightly because a lot of the people i play board games with we also play card games and uh yeah this is legit a card game not a board game it is but it's the same kind of idea right because you're you're playing strategically and against other people and stuff like this. So the card game that I'm going to pick is called Family Business, and it is a mobster-themed game. So you have seven mobsters in your pile. And anyway, as you play cards, you can put contracts out on other mobsters from other people's crime families. And once you have six mobsters in the hit list, which is where they go when they have a contract out on them, you just take the first one off and it, it's gone, right? And so when you run out of mobsters in your mob family, then you're out. A super fun game. I really enjoyed ganging up on people. Once somebody gets down to like two or three mobsters, their their guys are always in there because we're trying to kill them off. But uh, it's a lot of fun. There are other cards, obviously, that you can pull mobsters out off the hit list or block them from getting put on the hit list or swapping yours with theirs or, I mean, all kinds of stuff, right? And so that's where the gameplay comes in. And if you don't have any of your mobsters that you want to save, sometimes you save somebody else's to make a friend. Kind of the two of us are going to take on everybody else until they're gone. And then when convenient, I'll stab you in the back anyway. But yeah, fun, fun, fun game. So I'm going to pick that. And then I just want to let folks know, you can also text me now. And I'm going to be sharing out on text and on the email list, just stuff. I, I got real clear on top end devs and what I wanted to do with that. And really, I'm about helping people become the top 5% of software developers. And so even if you're a junior, you know, doing the things that we talk about as part of Top End Devs, and I'm going to start a podcast called Top End Devs, you'll move up, you'll become top 5%, maybe junior devs and then top 5% senior devs. But anyway, if you text me at this number, you'll get updates on that. Uh, the number is if you're in the US, it's 801 877-3287. And it'll make you verify some stuff because there are some laws about texting people under 13 or 18. I can't remember. So it just kind of verifies who you are and then you're you're in. And then periodically I'll push stuff out there or if I... I'll ask you which podcast to listen to, right? So if you put Ruby Rogues in, then I may actually say, hey, next week we're talking to Adam and... We're going to be talking about this thing. Do you have any questions for him, right? So we could have been doing stuff like that. I kind of want to open that up some more. I'm also going to have a Slack server that's part of Top End Devs. And if you sign up without, you don't have to pay to be part of the Slack server. But we're going to have a lot of stuff going on in there. Channels for all the shows. Channels for you to meet each other. Channels for the different summits that we're putting together. And just kind of run everything through there. As we do meetups, On I, I want to put out meetups on a regular basis. So anyway, all that stuff will be in there. Anything that you're trying to learn, you know, we can get somebody on the show or in the meetup or at the summit or whatever. So I'm really just asking you to come help me know what you need 
so that we can make sure that you're getting what you need. And then, yeah, if you want to go check out the Top End Devs podcast, just go to topendevs.com and it should be listed in the podcasts here within the next week. And then finally, I think I kept telling people to sign up by the 14th of December to get the pre-launch discount, but I did not get everything finished in time for that. So if you sign up by the end of 2021, then you can still get the pre-launch pricing. So definitely check all that out. And then as far as other fun stuff, I'm kind of getting toward the end of the Expanse books again. I've re-listened to all of them because the last book in the series came out in November. And I'm almost caught up to that and going to listen to stuff I haven't listened to before. So really enjoying that on Audible. And so I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. Adam, what are your picks? I, I didn't know I had to have picks. But yeah, Julia Evans that was mentioned, she's great. Everything mm-hmm. that she does is fantastic. Oh, and uh, the... Uh, uh, something you said you guys reminded me of this uh, Volkswagen testing framework, which I think it's in JavaScript, but basically it will detect if your tests are running in CI and then it will automatically pass them so that your build's always green. <laughs> <laughs> Based on Volkswagen's innovative uh, testing ideas. Those That's are my so picks. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for coming, Adam. This was fun. And uh, hopefully we've given people ideas on what they can do with their command line stuff. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. This has been a lot of fun. All right. Well, we're going to wrap it up here. Till next time, folks. Max out. Talk to you later. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.